Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Good to see every one of you. As I mentioned last week, I really intended at the beginning of this series when we were planning it out to finish in November and to start a Christmas series in December. And as we were going through this, I just really felt there were still some areas, some stones that we've left unturned that I didn't want to leave and then come back to. I wanted to flow into. So for today and next week, definitely, and maybe the week after, we'll see how it goes. But I just really want to hover here for a little bit longer because I believe that we're dealing with a great dilemma. The dilemma that we're facing is this. Can I engage in this culture while still maintaining my faith? Can I live in this world but yet still be a Christian is what we're saying. How can I stand firm when it seems that everyone around me is bowing? And the example that we've discovered over and over through this message is this. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Through the life of Daniel, we see how Daniel enables us through his example, through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. We see their story, and we see that it gives us great hope. But you know what else I've seen about Daniel and the boys? Not only did they stand firm in their faith, but they also did not isolate themselves, but had a great influence to those who were around them. Come on, they influenced their culture, which is key for every one of us. The book I've been reading as I've studied through this message is The Daniel Dilemma by Pastor Chris Hodges. And the tagline on the book says this, how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. Let me say that again. How to stand firm and to love well in what? A culture of of compromise. And let's be honest, it's hard to find that balance sometimes to have our faith, but yet still love people. Why? Because our faith says what they're doing is wrong. And sometimes we can look at the wrong and see the wrong in the person and realize the wrong isn't the person. The wrong is what the person is doing. We still got to love the person in the wrong because that's what God has called us. We have a struggle to find that balance. Are we accepting? Are we condoning what's going on in our lives? But I really believe that God will help us so, excuse me, so we can set a culture instead of reflecting a culture. Listen to this prayer that Jesus prayed. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be crucified, to be taken out of this world. And here's the prayer in the garden he prays for you and I today. John 17, verse 15. He says, I do not pray. And he's praying to God the Father, obviously. He says, God, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And if we could jump to verse 18, it says, as you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, in the world, but not of the world. Notice the prayer of Jesus. He's not asking us to retreat out of the culture. He's not saying to God, take them out, spare them, save their lives. That's not what the prayer he said. He's not telling us to lock our doors and hide away. But what he is praying is that in the world, the evil one would not be able to dominate our lives to coming. He's praying that in this world, we would not fall victim to the sins of the cultures of the times of the day and of the ages. So how can we be in something and not of? That's the journey that we're going to go on today to discover 
Because when we look at our culture, we could list endless problems and opposing factors that are stacked against us. Multiple sins rage all around us, damnable behaviors. But you know what? There's an underlining single culprit in this ungodly culture. There's a driving force of all sin and all ungodliness. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that thing, that one thing is this, pride. 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 Say with me, pride. Pride. And we're going to see through the book of Daniel how rampant it is. In the book of Daniel, it could be called the spirit of Babylon. But it's not just in the book of Daniel, it's throughout the entirety of God's word. And it's also still the biggest issue and the problem that we would perhaps face. Someone would look at you and say, hey, do you have pride? The first thing we say, I don't have no pride. A lot of times that's our pride speaking right there. Because it comes in all different shapes and sizes. It's pretty interesting when we talk about the Babylonian kingdom. Is the current day Iraq. On our map today, it would be Iraq would be that area. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, when we think of the trouble that's coming from that area of the world. But really, it's more than just a location. It's a mentality. It's a spirit that wants to attach itself to every one of us. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, it says this, In order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not to be unaware of his schemes. And the New King James says we cannot be ignorant of his devices. There's a device, there's a plan, there's a purpose that Satan has to lock us down. And one of the greatest sources of that is pride. We see that from the beginning in in Genesis. It didn't take long for Satan to enter a perfect world. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? What is he doing? He's making her question God. God didn't say you can eat of every tree. He said there's one tree you cannot eat from. But he's causing a confusion. He's causing her to begin to question God. And here's the reason why. Verse 5. For God knows. Here's what he tells her. God's holding out on you because God knows that on the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And here it is. Ready, ready, here it is. And you will be what? Wow. Wow. You see how good God is? See how awesome? You you can just be just like him. And you can know good and evil. God had already given them good. The only thing Satan can give you is evil. Just want you to know that. God has already given them all good. All they knew was good. And all sin has to offer is that which is evil and destructive for your life. So what do we see? Pride begins to question God. But in questioning God, it elevates people. It elevates self. Satan is saying God doesn't really care about you. Satan is telling her, really, God's in it for himself. It's all about him. And he's just using you to fulfill what he needs. You see, pride is a gateway sin that offers an open door for our enemy to drop in and just tell us how great that we are and that we really don't need God. And he succeeded. Satan succeeded because the spiral of man doing it his way continued. 
Because pride creates a chain reaction of massive consequences. Turn a couple of chapters to Genesis chapter 11. The world has one language. They're coming together. And what is their plan? And they said in Genesis 11 verse 4, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us what? Make a name for ourselves. Pride. You'll be like God. Let me, let me make a name for myself. Let it be all about me. So we won't be scattered abroad all the face of the earth. It's amazing. They thought if we, we make a name, we won't be scattered. But in turn against God, they got exactly what they were trying not to accomplish. Verse 9, therefore, its name is called Babel, because the Lord God confused the language of the whole earth, and they were scattered throughout the land. The word Babel there means confusion. Confusion. Which is what we will have when we don't live God's way. If you could almost label the culture that we're in today with a word, Confusion would probably be a good one. Look around us today. People are confused about gender. It's not just male and female anymore. Man's trying to say there's other genders. That whatever you feel, whatever you like. Come on. Man is confused now about race. Man is confused about marriage. It's not just one man and one woman. It's just whoever now can come together. And as long as you love each other, the laws now say you can do it legally. Man is confused about abortion. It's not murder. It's not a child. It's not a living being until it's conceived or birthed. No, no, the Bible says that he knew you when you were yet unformed in your mother's womb. There's a lot of confusion in this world today. And all the confusion is this. It's against God's word. It's man trying to say, I don't need God anymore. I'm going to make a name for myself. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. It's pride, pride, pride. But notice this. In our pride, we then have stood up as a nation and as a people and said such things like this, Rob, how could God allow this to happen? We look at the mass murders. We look at the tragedies. Where are you, God? He's right where we left him. He's right where we left him. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, if my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal. I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. Listen to me. It's like the prodigal son saying, it's God's fault he's in the pig pen. Stay with me. I'm telling you right now, God didn't put him there. He did it himself. The prodigal put himself in that state. You see, we don't want to take responsibility for the choices and the decisions that we have. And when we make the wrong ones and we find ourselves in the wrong place, we blame God and say, God, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. No, what we're doing is we're receiving the reward of the life and the choices that we are making. We are receiving the reward and the consequences of pride. I don't need you, God. I can do it my way and I'm going to go 
my way. You see, he was safe while he was in Father's house. But when he wanted to make a name for himself, when we begin to feel entitled to our inheritance, when we begin to get full of ourselves and say, I'm just going to go, I don't need church anymore. I don't need this anymore. I can just do it my way. Watch out because you are starting to head in the wrong direction. Luke 15, 20, and when he arose, he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, what is it? He's in a pig pen. The Bible says he comes to his senses and says, hold on a second. There's something greater in my life than where I'm at right now. And that greatness can only be found in father's house. And he said, I'm going to go back. I'm unworthy, but I'm going to go back even as a slave. But when he arose to come back, notice the words, while he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You see, God is still there. He's right where we left him. If we'll just come back and repent and cry out, he's there. That doesn't mean that God wasn't with those people when they were shot. That doesn't mean that God, God is there with us. But what I'm saying is we need to once again turn back to God and to allow him to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. Come on, we can't just blame God for our mistakes. Because one thing I know about God is this. God wants to be there 24-7, not just when there's a need. Why is it we run to God when there's a need? Because we know he's the answer. But maybe he's the answer to keep you from a need. Maybe he's the answer to help you in your everyday life. You see, we see the spirit of Babylon throughout the entirety of the Bible in Isaiah. We can read it in Isaiah 47. He talks about the Babylonian spirit. He talks about how they elevate themselves, how it wasn't a pretty picture what followed. Why? Because they thought they could do it on their own. I'm telling you right now, you take God out of something and begin to see what happens. It's confusion. They were confused. They were left desolate. It wasn't good. We see it in the end of the Bible. Read it yourself when you get home. Revelation 17 and 18, it talks about the rise of the great Babylon. That mentality, we see it in the church today, believing it's all about us and not about God. I've got this. (laughs) You sure do. And it's not good and it's definitely not God. Notice around us today, we we live in a selfie generation. Come on, we've got that selfie. Look at that. We live in a selfie generation. Don't we? Remember, remember when you used to take pictures of things, you used to actually see the thing that you were taking a picture of. That used to be the focus. You, you would show your pictures to everyone and you would say, look, I went here and, and I did this and I saw this. But now what happens? What tends to be the object of all our pictures now? It's me. Come on, it's me. Oh, yeah, that's that stuff behind. But man, do I look good? We don't care what's behind us as long as we look good. Come on, I look good in that picture. Come on, there you go. It's become more about us. When we're showing pictures, people know who we are. They want to see where we've gone, but we're not interested in that anymore because it's all about me, me, me. Selfie generation. Look at me. I'm the main event. And becoming self-focused is the devil's goal. To To the point that we make our own lawsuits to suit us. We throw out God's word because, look, I look better. It's now about my own ideas, my own options, my own feelings. It's about my decisions. It's me, me, me. It's pride, pride, pride. 
to the decree that we treat God like, I'll let you know when I need you, God. When there's a need, God, I'll be back. But until then, party on, God. Life is good. Let me go back to the prodigal son. Luke 15, 13 through 15. A few days later, this young son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Here's a question I have right now. Can you wild live on your own? No, I don't think so. He is wildly living. Why? Because he is living it up with a whole load of people. I think it's pretty safe to say that he had a big group of friends that he was doing life with. Anyone agree with me on that? Verse 14, but about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. Here's the question I have is, surely at least one of his friends could have hooked him up and helped him. Come on, surely at least one of those people had a home or a couch or something. Where are his friends now? And he had to persuade, the verse 15 says, a local farmer to hire him and a man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. What am I saying right now? We are living in a selfish generation to the point that when problems and trials come, we're going to be left all alone because our friends are going to be gone. But there's only one person that we can trust that will never leave us and never forsake us. And that person is God. Friends and people will let us down, but never God. We don't only live in a selfie generation, we live in a self-indulging culture. If it feels good, do it. We've forgotten God. When Moses was going to the children of Israel, he said, tell me God who you are so I can tell the children of Israel. What did God say to him? God says, I am. Tell him I am has sent you. I am. What does that mean? God's the I am of your life. You need healing, God says, I am. You need strength, God says, I am. You need direction. God says, I am. You need comfort. God says, I am. In Hebrews, we see it goes to another way. He says, now he is. He is. What does that mean? You need healing. He is your healing. Come on. You need power in your life. He is power. He is strength. But we forgot that because it's become all about us and our feelings. It's really sad because of this reason. Look at this statement. Only a loving God can call you out of your sin. You can't, no one else can. But while we're full of ourselves and pride, we will live in that and die in that. Because there's only one who can pull us out. And if you would listen real clear today, he's calling your name today. In the book of Daniel in chapter 4, We see the spirit of Babylon, that pride at work in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. He became contented without God and his prosperity was great. He admired himself. But what we're going to discover today, his pride led him to insanity, to a deranged thinking, to a place of being totally discontent. Because what we will see in his story today is this, pride will either result in two things. Or let me say this. We can either choose today humility or humiliation. We can either choose humility or humiliation. One you can initiate and the other God will initiate. And I want to read today the book of Daniel. We're going to read some verses to follow along good. And 
By the way, if you're on Facebook Live today, someone's chatting with you. Miss Miles is at the back today. She's chatting live every service now for Facebook, and we're excited about that. Just touching with people, giving them an opportunity to receive Christ while we're here in this service too, wherever they may be. Daniel 4 verse 10, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Here's his dreams. These were the visions of my head while I was on my bed. I was looking and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens. It could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of heaven dwelt in its branches and all the flesh was fed from it. Can you picture this? An incredible picture. Provision, blessing, everything that anyone could ever need right there in that tree. Verse 13, then I saw in the vision of my head while I was on my bed, there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said, chop down that tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and all the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. Verse 4 and 5 quickly. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house, flourishing in my palace, full of pride, admiring what I have, enjoying the life that I have created. But when the dream came, it made me afraid and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. He's lost his peace because you can't find peace in stuff. You can only find peace in Jesus. So what does he do? He's troubled. He calls together all the magicians, the astrologers, everyone, the soothsayers. He calls everyone together he can muster up. He shares with them the dream. He says, now give me the interpretation. There was no one that can interpret the dream. We don't know what that means. But there was one, Daniel. Remember Daniel? We're talking about him. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Daniel, again, now is in a place of influence for what reason? Through his stand. When people are troubled and they have questions and the world's not giving them the answers, they're looking to you. They're going to come to you. Why? Because that's the influence that we need to have. That when we're standing true, people are going to know who to turn to when problems and trials come. Oh, they may kick you down when everything's going good, but you're going to be the first one on their call list when the problems are coming. That's why we've got to make a stand. It's not just for us, but it's for other people because people are watching and noticing. Daniel now is in a place of influence because he refuses to bow. Don't ever think that your life is not being noticed. And Daniel not only has an opportunity of influence, but man, it takes courage. (laughs) It takes courage to stand before the most powerful man on the face of the earth, Kim Nebuchadnezzar, and say what he was about to say. Look what it says, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. So this king spoke and said, Belshazzar, 
Do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. You know why Daniel's troubled? Because he knows who the dream's about. He knows what he's now having to say and he's not happy about it. Because he's having to look the king in the eye and tell him you're wrong. Daniel tries to cover it and he says, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. He knows what's the truth, but he's trying to pad it out a little bit. He's trying to buy some time in this situation. (coughs) The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by the earth, whose leaves are lovely and its fruit abundant and which was food for all under which the beast of the field dwelt, and whom the branches of the birds of heaven had their home. Verse 22, it's you. It's you, O king. You who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And as much as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast of the field till seven times has passed over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you out from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like an oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass before you. The thought there is probably seven years till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives to whomever He chooses. And as much as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be, what? Assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Break off the sins. But even after being warned, next verse, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. All this came upon him. At the end of 12 months, 12 months had passed and the dreams happened. The Bible says he was walking in his palace. And the king spoke and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built for a royal dwelling, by my mighty powers and by the honor of my majesty? History tells us that he had built incredible gardens that were a wonder of the world at that time. People would come and admire the beauty and the splendor of these gardens. And here he is in his palace, walking through everything that he's made, looking, taking credit for it and say, wow, look at this. I did a good job. I did a good job. (laughs) I did a good job. The king spoke saying, is this not what I have built for myself? What do we see in this passage? Pride is filling his heart. And as a result, he is driven from his kingdom into confusion as a wild animal. He became like a wild animal. Was eating grass, was growing claw. I mean, he became wild, insane, totally lost the plot in every type of the way. 
But you know what I love about this story? I love verse 23. I love verse 23. Because it says, chop down the tree and destroy it. But what? Leave its stump and its roots in the earth. What a picture of God's grace and mercy. Because God always leaves the opportunity for restoration to happen in our lives. We are never out of the reach of a loving God. God doesn't write us off. He writes us in. I don't care the worst of the worst. There's still a stump in the ground. There's still roots in the ground. There's still an opportunity for you to live again. There's still an opportunity for peace again. There's still an opportunity for blessing again. All we have to do is what Nebuchadnezzar did. We have to acknowledge that heaven rules. That God, you're in control now of my life, not me. And after seven times, the Bible says King Nebuchadnezzar did that. But not till he had lived seven years of total insanity. Verse 34 says this, And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed him who lives forever. For his dominion is everlasting. His dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Jump to verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are true and his ways justice. And those who walk with pride, he is able to put down. And he knows that firsthand. He's witnessed, he's seen this. What do we see if you would read? Not only is his sanity and his kingdom restored to him, but the Bible says he is given more power and greatness than he ever had before. Why? Because now he is proclaiming God as the one that has given that to him, not himself. So quickly today, I just want to quickly give you three things that we need to do with our lives to escape the same punishment of pride that Nebuchadnezzar went through. How can we restore insanity in a crazy culture? How can we have peace in our soul, soil as the turmoil of godlessness and tragedies are unfolding all around us? I'm going to give you three I wills today. Are you ready? Number one, I will exalt God. This is what you've got to make a declaration of. I will Exalt God. Not just on a Sunday, but every day living out my life, exalting God. Why? Because God deserves my heartfelt praise. Last week we talked about the importance of worship. We all worship something and someone. And if it's not God first, then it's something that has taken His place. Come on, does your life worship God? Do you exalt God with your life? One of the things that frustrates me it's a lot of things that frustrates me. But one thing that frustrates me is when people say they can't worship God on a Sunday. But I see them worshiping everything else on a Saturday. Come on, I see them at the football games. I see them at the concerts. I see them going wild and crazy. They don't care, tears, screaming, hollering, making a fool of themselves. Come on, we can be a fan on Saturday, but we're labeled a fanatic on Sunday. Come on, it frustrates me because here's the deal. I'm not going to give anything else the praise that belongs to God. I'm going to shout and hoop and holler again, but that's fine because I'm going to do that on Sunday just as much, if not more. 
Because why? I've made a determination in my life. I'm going to exalt God. That means what? I'm not going to keep quiet about God. What does it mean to exalt God? I'm not going to keep quiet about God and what he's done for my life. Listen, that's why I have a testimony. I came through some tests. Now I have a testimony so I can share that with other people. Let me tell you what God's done for my life. Let me tell you where I was and what God has done. Come on, I was a stump in the ground. I was just a dead root in the ground. But God has raised me up. He's given me a family. He's given me a home. He's given me a job. He's given me a car. I don't deserve those things and I will exalt God. I'm not going to keep quiet. Psalms 34 verse 3, oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. So no one has done what God's done and no one else can do what God is doing in my life. I like what Chris Hodges writes in his book. Look at this. He says, I have a dream that one day The praise of our church on a Sunday will be greater than the praise that happens in football stadiums and in concert venues. (coughs) I'm going to say that again because that applause was pathetic. I have a dream that one day the praise of our church on Sunday will be greater than the praise that happens in football stadiums and concert venues. Come on! Come on! Come on! Last time I checked, LSU has done nothing for you apart from stealing your money, your time, your energies, and your joy. But the last time I checked is, he's the giver of life. He's your comfort, he's your strength, and he's your peace. You know, God has asked us in his word to praise him, and he even tells us how to do it. We owe it to him to give him all the praise that we can. And not just in church, but every day. When you walk into your work tomorrow, exalt God. Tell of his goodness and tell of his mercy and everything that he's done. We should be a people who are grateful in all circumstances. We should be a people that others stop and notice because of the way we continue to express our thankfulness to God. Now tell me something, there's nothing that will build his church like that. When the boss tells you tomorrow you may lose your job, that you've still got a good attitude and you're saying God's going to take care of me. People like looking and say, what's wrong with you? Hey, let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with me. There's something right with me. And that right is Jesus because he's the one. That, that, that's going to get someone saying, man, what are you smoking? What are you drinking? And you can say, I ain't smoking nothing. I'm just living Jesus. Come on. I'm just high on Jesus. Amen. Ain't no hangover in Jesus. Amen. No regret in Jesus, amen? Just comfort and peace in him. That will build his church. Why? Because people are going to come from everywhere to find out what's going on. Listen to me, you ready? I wish I had time to preach this. What are you exalting on social media? What are you exalting on social media? To read most of your posts, I'm telling you, I'm not on Facebook, by the way. I post to it, but I'm not on Facebook. So if you're sending me messages, sorry, I don't get them. I post to it, but I'm not on it. And for the reason I'm not on it, because of what people post on there is just craziness most of the time. 
Well, what I'm saying is this. Do you realize you have a tool in your hand to give God so much glory, but yet you're using it with your pride because you're making people feel sorry for you, making people want to help you, and da, da, da. That's pride. That's pride. Use those things to exalt God. Someone may post, I hear you lost your job. <laughs> Praise God. God's got it under control. I'm trusting him. My church is praying and we're believing for God to do great things. What are you promoting on social media? Set the culture, not reflect the culture. And one thing I've realized is this. Are you ready? You can't exalt two things at once. Number two, I will acknowledge God. I will acknowledge God. I will acknowledge that God does everything right and all his ways are just. More than ever, what we have to do today is we've got to accept the authority of God's word in our lives and don't second guess him. Because what we're trying to do today is we're trying to figure everything out. We talked about that last week. I'm glad I can't figure God out because that means he's God. If I can figure him out, he's like me and then we've really got problems. But because he's God, I'm not asked to understand everything. Come on, God never asked you to understand his ways. You just, he just knows you simply can't. He doesn't even expect you to try. All he asks is this, for you to obey him and for you to trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, there it is, acknowledge him. Acknowledge what? You're sovereign, you're gracious, you're merciful. You've got this under control. I don't see it, but God, I trust you. I trust your plan. I trust your purpose. And he shall, here's the promise. When I acknowledge God in my life, here's the promise. Every pathway, every decision, every choice I make, he will help establish those things. He will make the crooked paths straight. He will help me and direct my path. My God, we need some directing in our lives. How do I direct my life? By acknowledging the fact that his word is still true. His word is still life. And his word is still my hope. Come on, my testimony, I'm telling you right now. My testimony, I stand before you today still questioning almost every day, why would God use someone like me? I think there's a lot more people qualified and could do a lot better job than what I do. And every day, I question. But you know what? I've come to that place where I refuse to allow those questions to make me doubt the call that God's put on my life. Because maybe I don't understand it, but I'm going to be obedient to what God has called me to do. And I remember once, Piccadilly Cafeteria on Essen Lane. I was washing my hands and I was looking at myself in the mirror. And it was just like the enemy was in the mirror looking back at me. And it was when I was at a low time in my life. You ever been there? And I was doubting everything and what God had. We were about, we just started this church and we were struggling through all of that. And the enemy met me in Piccadilly Restroom and looked at me in that mirror. And he said, who do you think you are? Look at yourself. You're just a kid. No one's going to follow you. You're a screw up. You're a mess up. You're nothing. And I remember people probably thought I was crazy. Tears began to stream down my face. And I took my finger and I pointed it in the mirror in Piccadilly. And I said, devil, it doesn't matter who I am. What matters is whose I am. And I'm the son of the king. Come on, I'm a son of the world. Come on, pride wants to say, who are you? Come on, acknowledging God says, I am nothing but through Christ. 
I can do all things through the strength that He's given me. Come on, it's not who you are, it's whose you are. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? You know why we talk a lot about tithing in this church? Because tithing acknowledges the fact that God is in control of your finances. You can say, well, I'm trusting God with my money. If you're not tithing, you're not trusting God. Because giving Him that first tenth of everything you have, that acknowledges the fact that, God, I'm trusting you because everything I have is already yours. You see, I don't look at tithing as I have to give 10%. Because that's not what tithing is. Tithing says I get to keep 90%. Thank you, God, because it's all yours. But I acknowledge him. 1 Corinthians 15.10, look what Paul writes. But whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor upon me. Watch when people say you did a good job. Watch when people say, wow, you're so good. There's nothing wrong with people giving you praise, but remember where you send it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. When people say things like that to me, I say something like this only to God. Praise God. He's the one that does it. It's not me. It's God. In all my ways, acknowledge God. The last thing, are you ready? I will humble myself. (coughs) I'm going to walk in humility. This doesn't mean putting myself down all the time or becoming a doormat. Look at this great definition of humility is this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is coming and you can either initiate it or culture will. You can either have humility happen in your life or God will. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, we always grow closer to God when we're focused less on ourselves. Because the choice is, it's either humility or humiliation. Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated. Driven from his palace, from everything he had. Acting like a wild man. The people who used to come to admire his majesty were now coming to admire his insanity. Look who it was. Humility. And because he refused to become humbled, he was humiliated. John the Baptist, he had the opportunity to make way for Christ. He could have taken that position to to his head instead of his heart and said, look at me, I'm the greatest man that has ever lived barring Christ. I am the one he is called to lead the way for him. But you know what John said? I must decrease so he can increase. I must become less so he can become greater. That needs to be our prayer each and every day. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time at the right time. Can we say that? At the right time. At the right time, he'll, he'll elevate you. But when we try and do it ourselves, it's at our time, but not his time. Roy Stockstill, an incredible man of God, Pastor Larry and his father, Jonathan, his grandfather, he said these words, a man on his face can never fall from that position. Stay low. Keep it all about Jesus.
standing strong in a pride-infiltrated culture starts face down. Because pride always wants to say, my way first. And Think about it this way. That's what sin is. That's the difference between sin and salvation. Sin says this, it's my way. It's my way. But salvation says what? No, it's God's way. It's God's way. It's God's way. Would you bow your heads all over this place today? If we want to overcome pride today, we must turn from being self-sufficient and back to being totally God-dependent. I will exalt you. I will acknowledge you. I will humble myself. I will. I will. I touched on this earlier, John 10.10. God says, I've come that you may have life. And a life of abundance. But in order to have that life, pride has to die. Because if pride doesn't die, pride will kill you. It will kill you. Killing pride is the title of our message. It's not an easy thing to admit to the fact that we've got pride. Because why we're prideful. It's easy to admit if we don't have it. We obviously do in areas of our life. Right now, as your head is bowed and eyes closed, what area of your life are you in control of that God's not? What area are you trying to manipulate and control and be in charge of? What area are you looking and saying, wow, look at me, look at my house, look at everything I have? Kelly and I came to this decision many years ago, and that is this. Everything that God has blessed us with is His. I pray this prayer often over my life. God, if you want to take my cars, my house, you want to take my possessions, God, whatever you need for those things, God, I yield them to you. God, I want them to be used for your kingdom and glory. It's not for me. It's not for myself. I don't need all those things. I just need you. I just need you. And you know what I've found is this, that when I don't need those things and those things don't have me, they don't become wrong in my life. And God will bless us with nice things. And God has blessed me with nice But I believe this. God has blessed us for this reason. Because we don't allow our hearts to say, look at us. Look at us. Because I'm telling you right now, everything I have and everything I am is because of Him. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. I want us right now, if we could just turn the house lights down. Can we do that, Alex? I'm just going to give an altar call right now. I'm just going to open up these altars. Sarah and the band's going to begin to sing. I, I just want us to begin to come. I, I personally think this would be a good message for every one of us to respond to. But today, I can't force you and I won't force you because it's got to be from your heart. But who's willing to step out of where you're at and say today, I'm going to make some new I wills in my life. Come on, I'm, I'm going to exalt God. I'm going to acknowledge God. Come on, I'm going to humble myself. 
I'm going to kill that pride in my life because it has to go because it's ruining my marriage. It's ruining my home. It's ruining my family. It's ruining every part of my life. Come on, I've got to surrender everything to God because sin is saying, I want it my way. Today, I'm saying salvation. God, I want it your way. I want it your way. Come on, would you respond right now? Come on, respond all over this place. Come on.